Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Stefan, and I'm here with the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. And we have a wonderful guest here. His name is James Harbour, and his company is 28B. A very interesting name for the company. But I think it's the best if James makes his own intro. James, welcome. Hi, thank you, Stefan. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, my name is James Harper. I founded 28B, gosh, 13 years ago. Originally, we were helping agencies deliver better on digital. And then eight years ago, we came across CRM, CLM development, and I'm an ex-rep. I was a rep for many years in the field, but I'm old enough to have used carbon copy paper to record calls and pop it in the mailbox. The most digital we got was an Excel spreadsheet. So to have seen how, you know, what was available to field teams now with these amazing platforms for customer relationship management and the closed loop marketing aspect, I was excited enough by the opportunity to refocus the whole company. And now all that we focus on is enabling and empowering the orchestrator rep to create great customer experiences. And I believe that comes from the platform, from the content and from the data that that's provided, as long as you present that data in a meaningful and actionable way to those reps. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to ask you, so I went through your LinkedIn profile where one thing that stood up is your featured post, which is what the F is omnichannel. Okay. Can you, <laughs> you know, if I was a dog, could you explain me? I was a dog, a puppy. Could you explain me what is omnichannel and forward? Well, omnichannel originally came out of making sure that you finished your purchase transaction, right? So original okay. omnichannel was a very technical solution to ensure that if you were at your desk, and filling in your Amazon basket with goodies to buy, and then you had to rush up and catch a train that you could open your app on your phone and your basket would have the same items in and you could complete your transaction. So like way back in the day, Omnichannel was all about keeping that consistent experience around purchase. It's mm -hmm. expanded now into customer experience. And that's where I think it runs for pharma. The Omnichannel is an opportunity regardless of channel function or role to create a great experience across all of those with an HCP. So for me, it boils down and I don't like the term omnichannel. I prefer customer experience. You know, it's our job in pharma to create great customer experience for our customers so that they can increase their appropriate prescribing of our medicines. Or if you're in field medical, you know, great experiences for your stakeholders, your HCPs, so that you're creating an environment in which appropriate prescribing can happen. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like a shared CRM between function and so that's even between medical and marketing, in my view, with the right rules in place, but a shared CRM so that we've got insights onto our customers so that we can create that experience over time. What we're very poor at in this industry is creating experience over time. We tend to focus on the moment, a single engagement, et cetera. What we should be moving towards is a consistent and high value conversation over time. Okay. Let's think about. Worst case scenarios, how it is done, you know, the experience over time and best case scenarios, maybe because you're 
consultant, you've seen like a lot of good and bad cases. Let's discuss those. I mean, you don't need to disclose the company and stuff, but like, I would well, love to see. Okay. So the good cases are rare to come across. So, you know, we've been doing this for eight years, focused on this space. We've got 17 pharma clients on our books, 14 agencies that we partner with. So we have a very broad view of what's going on. And I'm afraid there's a shortage of really good examples of that. And, and I'll even go so far as to say as being a, I lead the digital interest group for the PM society here in the UK. That's the pharmaceutical marketing society. Also a yeah. judge. And you now we get to see you know, the submissions for the omnichannel or customer experience category. And, you know, we should be flooded with examples. We should be absolutely flooded with examples. And whilst there are some good examples in there, which I can't talk about, there's not as many as I'd like to see. So let, let's talk about worst case. And I, I won't even use a pharma industry example, but I'll draw a parallel with this. If, if you, so first thing to bear in mind is we're not always competing with other medicines or other brands or other pharma companies. We're actually nowadays competing with a doctor's last best experience with other industries. Yeah. So, and when we look at how far in advance other industries are, we should be a little ashamed of where we're at. And yes, we're highly regulated. Yes, there's things that get in the way of this, but actually if you gave, you know, enough space, enough time and everyone said, yes, we could achieve this in a matter of months. So here's an example of a condensed version of what pharma does. When's the last time that you phoned your insurance company or your mobile phone provider or whoever it might be, you've got a problem and you've phoned their support line. And the first thing that support line says is, can you input your account number digitally? So on your keypad, you put in your account number or whatever it might be. And then you hang around waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually you get through to the support, the call center. And what's the first thing they ask you to do? What's your, what's your account number? And you're a bit like, well, why did I put it in if you're then asking me for it? But anyway, you say that and then they say, okay, how can I help you today? Obviously you've been through security and they'll take all your details and they'll take the problem and then they go, oh, well, actually you're through to the wrong department. I can't help you. I need to transfer you to another department. Frustrating. You go through to the next department and the next department says, hi, can I have your account number? And you're like, but hang on. So I put this in digitally. I even heard your colleague tapping away, which means it's in the system. Why can't you see it? Maybe it's a security check. I don't know, but probably not. And then they say, okay, what's your problem? And you go, well, like, okay. So in the same annoying one hour phone call in which I've only actually talked for a few minutes, I've had to give my account number three times. I've had to give you the problem twice. One of you couldn't help me and the next one's in the system, right? So in that, that's like a micro version of what we do with our consultants and our HCPs over time which is the rep is having a staccato conversation with them because often they're not even allowed to keep call notes so that they can create a call continuum. You've got head office sending them untargeted emails that you know don't gel with what the rep is communicating with them. And then you've got medical who feel they can't even communicate with commercial in some cases, having another conversation with that doctor. So over time, we're creating that same experience. We're not, the doctor doesn't feel valued. The doctor doesn't feel like they, we understand them. And it's difficult for, address, for us to address their needs across function, across channel in a meaningful way. Okay. How can you, impl how can you do that? Like we were talking about the worst examples. Is there any good example you can actually share? Not really. You know, I've seen really good examples in a small way. So where I've seen good examples is for events and large conferences. So large international conferences where there's pre-engagement on social direct outreach. 
and then an experience during the event, whether that's on stand or around. And we've seen multi-channel where you've got appropriate advertising that reaches out both to the doctor. So I've seen it where it's been on tube stations in the city where the thing's being held and it leads the customer into an experience or the HCP into an experience. They have an experience on the stands. They have an experience with the team there. And it is creating that over time, but it's very focused on this one event and all the rest of it. And what I haven't seen from those, although they've been really impressive, is what happens next. And I'd be prepared to lay money that all of that good work done evaporates at the end of the event. And I would lay money that the interactions with those customers during that conference, that international conference, haven't been passed on to their local rep to follow on with. They might know their customer attended, but did they know what conversations they had? Did they know what materials were shared with them? Did they know how many times they were on the stand? Do they know what questions were asked during a session? So it's probably just evaporating at that end point. And, it, and the reason they can do it there is because you've got a clear focus, you've got parameters, you've got boundaries. There's an event you can do it, but our challenge is how do you extend that right around the customer rather than the event? Yeah, so my experience with Pharma event, so I come from the software and service world, right? And the world where things are way more advanced than pharma. And like, I'm seeing these pharma events being very, sort of like low, like I would call them a low tech, like all the pharma organizers are doing, they're just gathering people in a room and that's it. And then they're like, okay, set up your own meetings and everything, right? So they don't have, I haven't seen any like sort of like pre events, like communities, anything like that we know, sort of like that we can learn from each other past the event. All you can see is like, okay, we have these recordings and that's it. So they're like, what I'm seeing is that there is a lack of, I would say, learn from each other, like sort of group learning that essentially events should work on, should sort of like give you this like consistent all the information that they could actually give you. Your newsletters through like, like cool, useful social media, you know? So th that's why, like, I see a lack of, like, useful information in pharma. So that's why we actually started this podcast, because we wanted to learn. So how do sales reps learn in pharma, right? How do they learn to uh, use it? Yeah. So you're talking about the silos, right? Yes. So, correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we, we love a good silo in farming <laughs> and it's, so it's not even between companies. Now you can understand the difficulty of companies coming together to collaborate, especially when they're competitive, but even within a company, we've got the silo between medical and commercial. And then within commercial, we've got a silo between marketing and sales. And if we want to create a customer experience, the customer doesn't care really who they're talking to in that journey. They don't fully really understand the difference between an MSL and a rep and the regulations because those regulations, they're a little obscure. They're a little mystical in a way to the doctor and really understanding that they just want their needs met by the most appropriate person. And they want those needs, if they are met, not to be repeated in the future or not to be ignored in the future. So those silos need to be broken down. In terms of what you're talking about best practice, that's why we started the Digital Farmer Unlock community. We've got 890 people as part of that community. And it's the meetings that we run there are pre-form, non-presentation based and open and honest, right? So we say deliberately daring, deliberately honest and deliberately free because often the big events and quite rightly are very well orchestrated like you know, the Reuters events, because people pay a lot of money to go to those. So they expect something, but 
when you look at the presentations given, they're very curated and they're very careful. I prefer this sort of discussion that we're having, Stefan, where we can be a bit more honest and a bit more challenging. So how do we break down those barriers? There's two ways. One is more meetings like that, more discussion, more open and more honesty, because if we collaborate better as companies, then the customer will have better experiences. The other way is as part of the PM Society and the Digital Interest Group, we are running cross-company supper clubs where we'll bring together digital leads or customer engagement excellence leads from different competitive companies where they can have a discussion about the challenges they see in their role or the opportunities they see for the industry to improve for our customers. And hopefully can do that sort of kind of a bit behind closed doors. But what we're intending to do is to write a report out of that so that more people can benefit. And I think there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more of that roundtable discussion about how we as an industry can improve. And that's where bodies like the Pharmaceutical Marketing Society, the Healthcare Communications Association in the UK can do that sort of thing and represent both agency and industry as a whole, rather than individual pharma companies and their commercial goals. Yeah, correct. So like what I'm seeing that you guys are doing a great thing. And you know, if you accept, I'll be a member of your group. <laughs> if you're over in the UK in August, I think August the 16th, we're going to have a big social. So no talks, no presentations, nothing boring, just a free bar, something to eat and, and a good networking opportunity. So that'll go out to the community, which is on Meetup. You can just join us on the Meetup app. Just search for Digital Farmer Unlocked and we'll pop up. I've, I've had both themes on the podcast and I had a few guys from oh, okay. there. Yeah, so like I, I get this podcast is that the call is like to get the information out there from the closed pharma society that, you know, has actually a bad rep because I think pharma people are cool. It's just that, you know, it has a bad rep in the everywhere that like pharma, they're just so close. They don't share information. And that's the problem that like I'm seeing people, you don't have market researchers, like you don't have legit market researchers about like ways to how to work the army channel, like case, case studies, like, okay, this is what we did, you know, so people don't learn from each other. And then the result, you have bad experiences for people and, you know, customers. And as you mentioned, customers don't really care. Are they talking to a CSM, like customer success manager? Are they talking to an account manager or to marketing? Or are they talking to like someone in sales, right? All they care is the experience. And they will always remember the last experience they had with your company, right? With your, with your product. And it's very important to give, you know, even though you, you've delivered within the past, maybe six years or seven years. They will always remember the last one. It was better than, you know, they'll remember it about the company. So maybe you won't be able to increase your prescription sales with that HCP anymore, right? I was just going to agree with you that, you know, a, a good example is you can have a great holiday, but if you have a delayed flight back or you get ill on the last day, then that's kind of what you remember, right? And in an agency, you say you're only as good as your last project. Well, it's the same with pharma. You're only as well perceived as your last interaction. So we work so hard to create an interaction with a customer, whether that be digital or in person. And yet we seem not to really be able to measure the value of that interaction appropriately because omnichannel and creating great customer experiences, you can build up to it and you can create the great content. You can train your reps better to access the right content and the right insights. And then the interaction happens, whether that's digital or in person, like any closed loop omnichannel digital solution, we're all about evaluation, right? So we're all about evaluation, iteration and improvement. But if we can't measure the impact that that interaction is having for the customer, then how do we improve? And, and actually, I'll be honest, that one's the real challenge right now is how do we measure value? 
How do we measure impact? And how do we see that improving over time? I have a friend who is a company, they are doing multi border core surveys. So after any experience with a client, do you basically get a survey where you can sort of score? How was your experience in liquor rating? And this is huge in a lot of industries. I haven't seen anything like that in pharma yet. And it's, it's yeah, a very there's simple a, there's, a fair, there's a fair few. So we're aware of a pharma client that's shifted their incentivization for field teams away from sales towards NPS. Not fully away from sales, so still there, but you know, net promoter score. You've got CSAT, customer satisfaction. The problem with those to a degree, they're not the silver bullet, right? Because customer satisfaction, and we have to be careful here. If we move too far away from sales and we forget that that's what we do, we sell drugs. Now you've got to believe that the drug that you're selling will, for the right patient, improve outcomes. If you believe that, then your passion should be for getting more of it used in those patients. And that mm -hmm. means sales of the social contract between you and a customer an HCP is they're seeing you because they want to be persuaded that your drug will benefit their patients. That's the interaction, right? But if we measure value and we focus too much on value without the sales aspect is if I'm seeing a doctor and I run lunchtime meetings and I bring the best sandwiches, but I don't happen to sell very well, or I don't happen to educate very well. But I bring M&S, which in the UK is the posh sandwiches, instead of the cheap supermarket sandwiches. Do I get a better NPS score? So, you know, we're going to be careful about what we're measuring, what you ask for, what you get, that sort of thing. But, you know, we, there has to be a combination, in my view, of NPS and CSAT. But obviously, the lag indicators are what we're really interested in. But that's the challenge in pharma. Sales and patient outcomes are the ultimate lag indicators. What do we use in between that to measure impact? And if we move too far into the value and service provision and too far away from sales, I think we're doing a disservice to both the commercial organization and to the customers because in essence, they're wanting to be sold to. And just to expand on that, and I get a lot of challenges on this is, you know, people don't like being sold to. Well, it's true. If I get a cold call for, I don't know, pet insurance and I don't have a pet, I don't, I don't want that call, right? I'm not, I'm not interested. But if I'm in the market for a new car, oh yeah, sell it to me, baby, right? Get me excited about that car. How fast does it go? Like, what are my extras? I get really like, yes, because I'm in the market for that. And clinicians, if they're struggling to treat patients effectively, are in the market for a better treatment. And they do want to be told about where the benefits are, et cetera, regardless of self-reporting surveys about how they're influenced only by BMJ articles and only by peers. They are also influenced strongly, in my view, by a well-informed, scientifically literate rep. Great. So like what I was saying, that you have to somehow dissect the experience you're getting from sales, the sales skill of over the, the product, right? The product can be very good, but the sales rep can do a very bad job, like selling it, right? And you as a sales rep, experienced sales rep, you know that, right? Yeah. I'd even say in certain circumstances, I wasn't a very good rep, you know, uh -huh. he's, oh, come on. I, I'll have had bad days. I'll have got out the wrong side of the bed. Um, to sell effectively every single time, you know, we're not robots and all the rest of it, but there are also some terrible reps out there and there's some exceptional reps out there, just like there's some terrible MSLs out there and there's some exceptional MSLs out there. There's some exceptional business owners like me. No, I, don't, I shouldn't have said exceptional. I meant business owners like me. There can be exceptional ones and there can be terrible ones, right? It's we're human beings and all the rest of it. So. So yeah, I guess what, what we can do is we can talk about how, you know, a platform like Platforce or whatever it might be can help the bottom quartile reps, right? The mm -hmm. reps that struggle, 
you know, technology mm. and data and insights on customers can help them be better. You know, the best rep out there could sell off the back of a cigarette packet and, you know, with their hands tied behind their back. But that's, they're the exception, right? The average rep or the rep that's struggling or the new rep, we can elevate their performance significantly with great content and great data. And that content and data is delivered via the platforms, you know, let's say like Platforms, like OCE, like Viva. They are, if used correctly, a hugely beneficial thing for reps selling effectiveness-wise. How, how important would you say would be education, like educating a sales rep about the capabilities of a platform, such as like Vivo or like Platforms or let's say IQVIA. Uh, how important is that when you make, like how important is that whether you're like, when you're preparing your rep for success, would you say, would you say? It's more important than the platform itself. I know that sounds odd if you're going to train them on the platform, but as technologists and as an industry, and I think people in general jump to tool set. I think the idea of something new or something improved can solve all our problems in one go. So we think at 28B in terms of mindset, skill set, tool set. So tool set is the platform or the content or the data. And what we've done as an industry historically and continue to do is, hey guys, here's this cool new tool set. Off you go. Get it done, right? Maybe with some limited training. And that's the skill set bit. And actually, to be fair, we're pretty good at the skill set bit in general. I think we could do much, much better on the technology front. But in terms mm -hmm. of the scientific and the therapy area and the disease and the product itself, we're really good at the skill set. Okay. Mindset, the mindset is key. Because if you haven't done that first, then the learning is harder or ineffective. And if I haven't got the mindset, then I'm not even bought into the idea of using the tool set. And that's what we see almost everywhere. If you roll back and think about from the days of Siebel through to Viva and MI Touch and whatever it might have been back in the day, they were almost all launched. Well, not almost, they were all launched as field compliance tools. They were launched to monitor reps in their call rate, their reach, their frequency, both to see if they're doing the job they're paid to do, although that's a vanity metric and I'd argue against those but also to ensure we weren't over-calling on doctors or even under-calling on them, right? So most field teams of an age see Viva and OCE and which was MITouch and, and those platforms predominantly as something they have to use to show they're doing their job. That's it. And you can see it in the quality of the call reports and the quality of the interaction that they're just basically, I'm told I need to do it, so I'm going to do it. If you look at what the technology does, if you look at what Platforms will deliver or what OC will deliver or Viva will deliver, and you just take field compliance out of it, ignore that bit for a minute and talk about how it can capture data and information on customers that derives insights that can mm -hmm. allow the rep deliver content regardless of channel across multiple channels and create that experience and it be what it really truly is, which is a customer relationship management tool with closed loop marketing abilities. Why every rep should be desperate to use it, should be, should be challenging themselves as to what more they can do with that platform. But that's a mindset shift. We haven't told them that yet in most cases. We haven't raised their aspiration to show, just look what you can do with it. It will help you sell more, get home earlier, be the top 10 rep, right? You know, whatever that bonus might be, you can get it if you use the system right. 
that's what the mindset bit is. If we get that bit right and they're, and they're on board with it, then the skill set will follow. And once the skill set's in place, then that tool set will come alive and we can unlock that full potential of these platforms, which at the moment, it's no more than 10 to 20% of what that platform can do is being used in the field. And another good example of that is Viva's Pulse data from April this year showed that 77% of the content that's created for a field team is rarely or never used. 77%. So we haven't even got the mindset right on that this content is good. It may be that the content isn't, but let's just assume it's pretty good, but the reps aren't using it or it's been missold to them or they haven't been trained on using it. There's this huge gap between what we're producing and what they're using. And if you marry that with the data that shows if you do use it, there's a two and a half times increase in the number of patient starts, we need to close that gap, right? And for me, mindset is absolutely, absolutely critical in that, followed by skill set and then the tool set. That's correct. You know, I think, I think that the problem is in people actually, like trying to sell people or trying to like the reps in, in pharma, they're used to like, as if they still want and they don't know. Like, so in marketing, I do marketing and sales. In marketing, there is this concept called lead nurturing or like prospect nurturing. When you don't focus just on one, like the first approach, you send them a few messages, one follow up, and then you forget about the person, right? They might be in the market to buy, right? As you said with the car, in example, the car right now. But if you continue uh, like nurturing them in the future, you'll eventually hit the, the point, you know, when they'll be interested in your product. And I think sales, so the specific of pharma is that sales people are also marketers in pharma because it's a similar, the nature of the business. So they have to also learn the basic of like nurturing people and not just sending them like, are you ready to buy? Have you seen the prospect? That sort of messages, but also educate. And I think that educating the sales reps to, so they could educate the HCPs and the doctors is the bigger piece of the, of the cake that we're sort of missing as an industry, maybe as a whole, what do you think? I'm not sure I agree. I think your average rep is very much aware of the sales process that they're trained in and the call continuum, which is developing that customer over time. We talk a lot about adoption ladder, you know, naive trial user, regular user, champion, etc. And within the CRM, you've got those adoption ladder things. And I think the aspiration is there and the knowledge is there, but I'm not sure we empower and enable that. And in fact, I'd say I go further and say we actually hamstring, we actually create problems for our field teams. Most pharma companies now do not allow the field teams to take field notes in their CRM for fear of pharmacovigilance in the US and GDPR in the EU. And that frankly is insane. I don't see, you know, we're not supposed to see doctors w w without requests more than was it, oh, I can't even remember now, three to four times a year. So that's every three, four months. How am I supposed to remember the conversation I had with that customer if I haven't got notes somewhere? And you know, the good reps, they'll keep those notes. They'll be in an Excel spreadsheet. They'll be written down somewhere. So they're still being captured, but this ridiculous lack of trust in that rep to take the right notes. When we trust them to verbalize and sell for that customer, we should trust them to take the right notes. And there's also, at least in Viva, and I'm sure many other platforms, the ability to monitor those notes and to look for in you know, things that would be concerning from a GDPR or pharmacovigilance point of view. So that's a fundamental for me. If you as an organization have stopped your reps from keeping call notes, pre-call planning, post-call notes, then how can you expect them 
to think like you were saying, Stefan, to create that experience over time and to move a customer along the adoption ladder. So we have to do crazy things. When we develop a sales aid for a customer, we're programmatically dropping content into those fields. So depending on which slides the customer's interacted with, depending on the questions that the reps asked, doctor, what's your number one treatment priority? We'll take those results and we'll push them as set text, depending on those interactions, into those fields Mm -hmm. in a group to help the rep create that conversation over time. But they should be allowed to to do freehand notes as well. They should be, you know, they need to be specific to that doctor. So I feel you can tell, I feel quite strongly that that's a ridiculousness that we've fallen into because people are not getting the risk benefit right between field notes and PV and GDPR concerns. Yeah, my feeling is like, although you're gathering consent in the doctor that you can discuss a certain topic or a certain medicine, you still cannot gather field notes, which is like crazy. You already have the consent. What else do you need? Like you need a second consent? You want to send them? No, no, it's not. It's more about recording data to the system that's inappropriate or for not reporting a pharmacovigilance issue. So doctor said a patient had a headache, right? That immediately becomes a PV issue. And if you write that in the call notes and you don't submit it, properly through the system, then that's an issue. But, you know, we trust, we trust reps to be out there and representing our brands. We should be able to trust them to take notes. And as I say, there are crawler technology out there that will look through notes and and start to flag trends that are inappropriate and all the rest of it. So I think it's an educational issue. I think it's a mindset reset, but I certainly think we should trust our field teams to take the right notes. And on that journey planning. Well, let's go back to Omnichannel for a second. You know, it's really important to create persistent yeah, journeys. Yeah. yeah. So when we think about field teams out there, especially in the rarer diseases and oncology space, they've got fewer and fewer customers, but they're more and more important, right? Why can't we enable them through technology to create their own personal journey for that customer? And we've developed dashboards that fit within Viva and other platforms that allow the rep to create an individual journey for that customer based on the needs and the insights that they've gathered. Like what email am I going to send them in this month? If I see them on this day, what am I going to follow up with? Which webinar should I invite them to based upon their needs? So you know, when a rep steps in front of a customer, the first thing they should be doing, apart from saying hi and, and creating some sort of meaningful empathy, sympathy, not sympathy, but you know, what am I trying to say? Make a connection, right? The first thing you do is you make a connection with an individual. Once you've done that, you're really talking about in sales term, what you call source of business, right? What disease, what patient, what treatment challenges, and what are you unhappy with your current treatment? Those are essentially my source of business as a rep. So what disease, what type of patient within that, what that patient or what the treatment challenges are, and then where you're unsatisfied. If you think about the results of that, or at least of the last three, that's really, really powerful stuff for an omnichannel perspective. So if I was speaking to Dr. Stefan, I say, you know, Stefan, when it comes to treating patients with asthma, what's the one challenge that keeps you up at night? And you might reply, well, to be honest, it's patients who don't know how to use their inhalers. It's their, what's the phrase there? Their adherence to, or their techniques in using the inhalers, because however much I prescribe, if they use them wrong, it's not going to work. That's really interesting. And how many patients like that do you see a month? I don't know, five, 10. Okay. So when you think about that patient, when they walk through the door, like what's the first thing you think about? What's the first priority? Well, it's going to be the adherence administration, right? So when you capture that to the CRM, which you can do by writing that from the sales aid where you've been asking those questions and you write that to the CRM, the head office marketing team, when they're looking at their omnichannel outreach and they're looking at engaging people on an email campaign or inviting them to a webinar, if that webinar is on patient inhaler technique, 
then they should be picking on all those customers that listed that as their number one problem, rather than sending it to every single customer in the hope that some of them are kept up at night by poor inhaler technique with their patients. And I'd even go so far as to challenge any brand team, can they be 100% sure that they've not sent an email to a customer saying, you should look at this clinical study, or you should look at this tool we've developed, and that the author of that study or that tool hasn't received that email saying, hey, if you're struggling with, look at this, right? And because we don't have good data on our customers, we are shotgunning stuff out there that in some cases will undermine a relationship. So how does that KOL feel that they're perceived by that company when that company just sent them an email saying, hey, struggling with poor inhaler technique? Look at this tool for inhaler technique. And he was the author of that tool. It's not, it's not cool, right? That's very cool. I would say, yeah, that's the problem though. You get, you get low email opening rates. You get bad CTR people are like, you know, ACPs are not interested in the content because you're, the data is lacking. So, you know, you sort of like, you cannot sequence a certain topic. So there's a certain problem, let's say the inhalator problem, but just those who actually need it, right? You're blessing it to everyone who needs it, who doesn't need it. And eventually they end up not opening your emails and then you lack on you're that top of mind and you cannot sell more descriptions, right? Because you're not there in the decision. You're not in the market when your customers are in the market because they're not paying attention, right? Attention game at yep. the end of the day. Yeah, in, in really simple terms, take it back to what I said earlier. If I get a cold call about, not that you would get a cold call about a car, buying a car, but, I, but I've, I've just bought one or I can't afford it, right? I'm not going to take the call, but if I'm literally thinking about buying a car, which is why Facebook advertising and Amazon, and that's why they spend so much money on understanding you and targeting ads and targeting engagement. We can't even do that in pharma with field teams, with human beings, because we don't collect enough data and we don't use that data wisely. You know, obviously we need to be sensitive and how we gather and how we use that data. But the fact is that all of us, well, almost all of us allow Google and Facebook and other things to collect data on us because it enhances our experience with that platform. You know, going to your Amazon homepage, it is, yes, yeah, however you want to look at it, it's targeting me with the stuff that I like. And it is tempting me to buy and like the rest of it. So it's not, you know, we, we shouldn't be shy of that with our customers. If we don't understand their needs and we don't target our educational offerings or our sales offerings to their needs, then we're failing. We need to create that engagement and that experience. James, I think we, I could talk to you for hours, you know, but I, I don't want to make this, this podcast like hours long. And I think. I'd like to invite you for another talk, maybe half a year later. But my question is, if you could give some advice to pharma companies, like maybe if sales, uh, sales excellence leads, uh, what would that advice sound like? Gosh, as you can probably tell, I've got lots of advice to give. Everything from, and I'm stealing this from Chris Mann at Amgen. At the end of our WTF is Omnichannel, I asked the same thing of my panelists. And Chris Mann from Amgen said, share every success, however small. And I think that's important. You asked me earlier in the podcast, have you got examples of best practice? And it's really hard to find an example of true omnichannel because true omnichannel should be right across the organization, regardless of function, regardless of brand, regard, it should, it's a big thing. And it's quite a big thing to achieve. Well, like I said, if you take it down to an individual event or a conference where you have created in a microcosm, a great experience with your customers, that should be shared internally. 
So that's one is share, share everything. But before you get there, there's two other things I'd talk about. One is define what you mean by omnichannel. Okay. So even within the same company or even the same team within that company, we hear different definitions, different agreements as well, what omnichannel is. So what are you setting out to do? Get everyone on board with that. And I hope that that definition, that ambition, that goal includes the words customer experience, right? Or engagement or something in that space. So define what it is you're going, because you can't get behind something if you don't have a vision and a mission for it. And then I also say start small. And what I mean by that is, yes, AI has a huge amount to offer. It's an incredible technology and it helps us crunch huge data sets and to show insights and trends, but not even using the most basic data. We're not even capturing the most basic data generated by our field team. So we talk about that at 28B when we do mindset skill set work is your brilliant basics. If you've got a rep on territory seeing customers, make sure you're capturing what you can from those interactions, not how many slides were shown to what doctor. Well, what are their treatment challenges? How many patients do they see? What does keep them up at night? Those core things that we capture, A, help the rep sell better in the moment, but B, help us provide through omnichannel, through that omnichannel approach, a much more meaningful engagement over time with that customer. So mm -hmm. make sure you're capturing the right data, make sure you've got a definition for where you're going, and then share every success, however small. Yes. That's what we're doing at Force, right? Recording all the successes. Yep. And we're actually, yep. we, don't have, we don't have failures, we have learning. So we're, we're teaching people about our learnings as well. That's okay. Uh, so we great fan of, of making sure failure is not seen as a, is not hidden away. I had a failed business in the past. I started a business many years ago. It didn't work, but I learned a huge amount from it. And I wouldn't be successful like I am today if I hadn't had that failure. So failures are learning opportunities. Absolutely. That's for sure. You learn more from failure than from success, right? Success can blind you when you get complacent. Cool. James, thank you so much for the episode. I was thinking, where could our podcast listeners reach out or like find you online? Just LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the only social I use. So just find me on LinkedIn, James Harper, 28B. And that's where I post. We're very free with a lot of our resources and, and insights because I'm really keen for the industry to improve. So there's always good stuff coming out on that. And of course, just, just Google 28B and Viva or 28B and Platforce or 28B and OCE and it'll come up. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. Have a good one. Thank you, sir. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Bye-bye.